You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. And I have a little collection of slang terms here from a certain field, and I'm wondering if you can guess oh. what they are. Okay. Put okay. me on the spot, top of the show. Okay. Sure. Yep. <laughs> there are four of them, okay? Mm-hmm. Here's the list. Ducks on the pond, frozen rope, high cheese, and tumblebug. Oh, some of these are clicking for me. Frozen rope yeah. is baseball. It is. It's a it's a strong hit. Yep. That goes like seems a, to be going straight out. Yes, like yeah. a line drive. Very good. And the ducks others, on the pond is yep. batters on base. Base runners. Base yeah. runners. And yeah, what's they're the, kind what, of bobbing on the bases what's like the ducks. The third one. The third one is high cheese. So what's high cheese? High cheese is a fastball in the strike zone. Cheese is a very positive thing in this case. So it's like perfect strike. Yes. Nobody's arguing against that strike. Right. (laughs) Kind of a frozen rope in the strike zone, I guess. (laughs) And what's the other one? Tumblebug. I don't know. Is that when a fielder does a little tumble when they try to make a catch? Yes, they're kind of showing off. They're doing little circus moves. Tumblebug. (laughs) They make it look harder than it is. Yes, yes. (laughs) I just thought we could use a little baseball, go Padres and all that. Frozen rope. I've heard that one. That one's in current use for sure. Some of these terms may go back a ways though, right? Oh, definitely. Decades or even a century behind Mm -hmm. them? Yeah, at least to the early 20th century. But I love the idea. It makes so much sense, frozen rope, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You can just see it. Yeah. Going right past you. (laughs) Like a perfect one, like a straight (laughs) shot. Going to right into the scoreboard. Exactly. Almost no arc on it. (laughs) We talk about all aspects of language on the show, not just slang, but word origins, arguments you had, old expressions from your family, great books, and good writing. 877-929-9673. Words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Eleanor, and I'm calling from San Antonio, Texas. Welcome, Eleanor. How can we help you? So I was wondering if there is a difference between OK spelled O-K-A-Y and O period K period. Oh, good question. What a good question. What got you to wondering about that? Well, some of my friends, whenever they text me, they say O period K period. But whenever I text them back, I will say O-K-A-Y mm-hmm. instead. Does one feel more right to you personally? It sounds like O-K-A-Y, the longer form, feels better. The longer one feels much better to me. Why is that? Does it feel like more like a real word? I guess O period K period feels like an abbreviation for something, Mm -hmm. while O-K-A-Y feels like a real word. It's weird, but I think all of these things are true, even though they sound a little contradictory. Let's break this down. First... If you're a journalist or a writer, you're probably going to use a style guide, and your style guide may have advice on which one they prefer. For example, the Associated Press prefers OK, spelled out capital O, capital K, with no periods. Oh, that's interesting. I think the New York Times style guide may also prefer that, and that's because, in their reasoning, it's closer to the original form of OK. That's how it entered the language, as an abbreviation for an intentional misspelling of all correct, spelled O-L-L-K-O-R-R-E-C-T. Wow. Right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, there was this whole trend in the 1830s in Boston where the newspapers would just like intentionally misspell words and come up with these like ridiculous abbreviations. And that's the only one that made it all the way to present day is okay. That is really, really interesting. I think, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, isn't that wild? It started out as a joke. Yeah, but, but you'll find again and again Every single dictionary that I checked, and I checked like 12 of these, and all 
all editors that I know will permit OKAY as long as the style guide that they use doesn't say that capital O, capital K is better. Because OKAY has since joined the language fully as its own full word and doesn't need to be the letters O and K anymore. Eleanor, I have the same feeling about it, that it, that it just feels more like a word if you spell it out with the K-A-Y. Yes. There is a really great and very readable book. How old are you, Eleanor? I'm 11. I, I think you could totally read this and have fun with it by Alan Metcalf. That's M-E-T-C-A-L-F. And just look, it's the story of OK, I believe it's called. Just look for Alan Metcalf OK. You can find it on Amazon or any online bookstore. And it's a really wonderful exploration of how this word entered not only our language, language, but dozens of languages around the world also use our OK to mean yes or an affirmation. Okay. I okay. will look for that. <laughs> how are you spelling that? <laughs> okay, well, of course. It's Eleanor. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your call. We really appreciate it. Thank you for taking my call. Okay. Take right. care now. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. So that book by Alan Metcalf is okay. The subtitle is The Story of America's Greatest Word. I highly recommend this. It's a great book. And he goes into this whole newspaper trend and, and talks about what was happening in Boston. And he also talks about kind of a supplementary thing that made OK stick. And that was Martin Van Buren being called Old Kinderhook. Mm-hmm. Old Kinderhook from Kinderhook, New York. Right? There we go. Yeah. Yep. 877-929-9673. Another bit of baseball slang, Grant. Do you know what a yacker is? <laughs> the guy in the booth on the radio <laughs> going like, two RBIs, bases loaded. I don't know. That's a very good guess. No. But it's a curveball. And here's the cool thing about the term yacker. So Y-A-K-K-E-R yes. means yes. curveball. Yes. And this is so great because there's a term yawker, Y-A-W-K-E-R, yeah. which is the name of a kind of bird that does that same kind of swooping flight. Oh, Isn't that great? Oh, interesting. So the yacker comes from the yawker, the bird. Yeah, the yawker is a nickname for the yellowhammer bird. Can I ask you, do you remember the first time you actually saw a curveball curve? And were you as amazed as I was? Yes. I remember going to Bush Stadium. I grew up as a Cardinals fan. And seeing the ball in real life going like, the physics of that didn't look possible. How does that ball curve like that? And then later oh. as an adult, you start to look up things about the stitching and the the delivery and the roll and all that. And you start to figure it out. But when you're a kid, like the curveball is amazing. Oh, An astonishing see, feat. Yeah. See, you were in the stadium. I was playing baseball with Keith <laughs> Sutton and my other buddies. Except for <laughs> in gym class. elementary school. The stadium is as close as I usually get to sports. <laughs> <laughs> 877-929-9673. Hi, you have a way with words. Hey, is this Martha? This is Martha. Who's this? This is Tyler from New York. Hey, Tyler. How's it going? Hi, Tyler. What's up? So uh, I started listening to your show a few weeks back. Uh, I just want to say I'm a big fan. Yay! So I noticed in between segments, you guys play some awesome music in your uh, sort of musical interludes between segments. Um, I noticed you guys play some reggae, uh, particularly particularly Toots and the Maytails. And um, I was wondering about the term reggae. I've heard somewhere that Toots Hibbert helped popularize the term reggae through his song, Do the Reggae. I wasn't sure if they actually coined the term or whether they popularized, just popularized it. I was wondering if you could uh, 
provide some background there. Oh, that's a really good question. First, let's talk about the music that we play in between the segments. Yeah, that let's. is all picked by our engineer and editor, Tim Felton. Tim is a core member of the band, the Surefire Soul Ensemble. He has an incredible music collection. He plays organs. He's got yeah, like he's a, a wonderful I think keyboardist. He's like, like, he's like 50 organs in his house. I don't even know. It's a huge, <laughs> a lot of keys oh, in his wow. house. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's good music and he's got good taste and that's what you're hearing. All the music <laughs> on the show is picked by Tim Felton of Surefire Soul Ensemble. Yeah, you can find his work online. Yeah, by the way, if people don't know, we do list the music that we play on the show on our website. So just look for the most recent episode, and we'll have a list at the end of the episode description. So the term reggae, so it's really interesting. So so Toots Hibbert of Toots and the Maytals um, gave an interview in 2004 where he talked about the term reggae, and they specifically asked him about the credit that sometimes people give him for coining the term reggae. Now, the song was called Do the Reggae, and it was spelled R-E-G-G-A-Y instead of an E for the Y, as reggae is usually spelled today. And he says, there's a word we used to use in Jamaica called strege, S-T-R-E-G-G-A-E. If a girl is walking and the guys look at her and say, man, she's strege, it means she don't dress well, she look raggedy. The girls would say that about the men, too. This one morning, me and my two friends were playing, and I said, okay, man, let's do the reggae. It was just something that came out of my mouth. So we just start singing, do the reggae, do the reggae, and created a beat. People tell me later that we had given the sound its name. Before that, people had called it blue beat and all kinds of other things. Blue beat, like blue the beat. color? Yeah, like the color. Huh. B-L-U-E-B-E-A-T, huh. blue beat. And so it, it is the first use that we know of the term reggae is his song from 1968. That is awesome. What yeah, a great cool, right? story. Yeah, so yeah. The, but, but there's there is another term um, in Jamaican English called reggae reggae, R E G hyphen R E G, and it has to do with raggedy clothing, and it's probably etymologically related to strege, and then therefore to reggae. But it kind of just kind of reconfirms how you could easily missay or mispronounce strege because of these others exi- existing words in Jamaican English that have to do with the similar idea of somebody looking slovenly. Oh, nice. Yeah. I'll have to add Stregate to my vocabulary, I guess. That's if you cool. <laughs> are interested in Jamaican English, and I encourage you to get into it because it's super interesting. All the, It's just like American English. It's got this rich history of immigration and politics and all this stuff. There's a dictionary of Jamaican English from 1967. While it is a little out of date and hasn't been updated since then, it still really lays down a lot of the fundamentals about how Jamaican English is different from all the other Englishes in the world. Well, if it's from 1967, 67, then it doesn't have reggae in it? That's right. It doesn't. Ooh. Yeah. Well, well, no, I'm sorry. It, ah. it, it, what it does have is it has older words that may have influenced reggae. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, guys. You're welcome. Our pleasure. Thank you for calling. Really appreciate it. Take care now. All right. Have a good one. Take right. care. Bye, Tyler. Toots Hibbert may have, may have coined the term. It sounds pretty like there's nobody arguing that he coined the term as we know it today to refer to the music. That's so interesting to me because I would have assumed that it was much older than that. Right. Like the music itself was much yeah. older, but the but name for the music beat. was new. Yeah. Blue Beat How and other things. Yeah. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Hang a snowman. Do you know what it means to hang a what snowman? What did it ever do to you? <laughs> right? I don't know what that means. Yeah. All right, so we're on baseball slang again. How did you know? Well, 
so uh, far the show. <laughs> <laughs> to hang a snowman in baseball is when one team scores eight runs in an inning. Okay. Because the snowman, you mm-hmm. know, if you draw it yeah. real simply, it looks like an eight. Uh, okay, hang a snowman. Yeah. Eight it, runs in an inning. That's yeah. quite a feat. Yeah, it's sort of like in tennis, you know, you can say that somebody was sent home on a bicycle, and that's the two tires of the bicycle the are zeros. zero. Yeah, so yeah. they lost six zero six zero. Oh, painful. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> hang a snowman. 877-929-9673. Or should I say snowman 77-929-9673. <laughs> This show is about language examined through family history and culture. Stay with us. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. And joining us now on the line from New York City is our quiz guy, Mr. John Chinesky. Hi. Hi, Hi. Grant. Hi, Martha. Welcome. You know, we uh, we sometimes go into some sort of puzzle types. We've done this thing before. It's called takeoffs. That's where we take off the first letter of a word to get another word. But this time we have a little bit of a theme going. Uh, we're going to make two-word rhyming phrases by taking the letter C from the start of a word. So we're only taking off the letter C from the first word and then getting the second word, we're getting a a rhyming phrase, okay? Okay. For example, if I said that I needed to know how old an animal enclosure was, you'd say that I needed to find the cage age. Okay, Okay? gotcha, cage age. Okay, remember, the the words will always rhyme. We're not doing any canon, anon, or anything like that. Okay. It's It's always chair, hair, like that. Gotcha. Okay. Good. Here we go. What do you call a device used to keep a timepiece secure? Um, timepiece secure. Chain. chain. Now, when I say timepiece. A clock lock. That's clock exactly lock. Right. Okay, there yes, we go. Clock I lock. See. That was a simple I was thinking a little too hard on that one. That's right. What would you call a gorilla who lives on a promontory that extends into a body of water? A cape ape? Cape ape yes, yeah. a cape ape. Mm, nice, nice, Martha. Now, if I insisted that my caddy paint a beautiful design on the side of our transport at the country club, what would that be? Cart art. Cart Martha, art, yes. doing it. She's on a roll. Since I'm rich enough to join a country club, I might just take some money and toss it in the fireplace. What would I be left with then? Cash ash. <laughs> Cash ash. Of course, I'm not rich at all. Have you seen my car? I call it the inexpensive pile. What would you call it? A cheap heap. It is a cheap heap, yes. Perfect. Very good. Did you know that on the set of the TV series Friends, they hired a special person to keep Matthew Perry out of trouble? <laughs> the Chandler Did... Handler. Yeah, he's the Chandler <laughs> Handler. That was his title. Yeah. Also, he was such a pain that David Schwimmer was quite put out. What did they call him behind his back? Cross Ross. Cross <laughs> Ross, yes. A little something for you 90s folks out there. If you were MacGyver and you needed to lift something heavy, you might fashion a simple machine in a cunning fashion. What would you call that? Clever lever. Clever lever. <laughs> right. Artist who was famous for mobiles and stabiles had a tree of the Birch family in his yard. What did people call it? Calder's alder. The Calder alder, yeah. The Calder alder. What would you call a piece of timber that's destined to be made into traditional Dutch a footwear? A clog log. A clog log, yes. Finally... 
You know, not all witches use a cauldron. I know a very modern group that puts their eye of newt in a microwave. Do you know what they call it? <laughs> eye of newt in a microwave? Yeah. Oh, coven oven. Coven oven. Yes, the coven oh, oven. There we yes. go. Oh, very good. <laughs> Those are our C takeoffs for today. You guys did fantastic. Congratulations. All right. All right. Bye, John. Bye. The show is about words and language and everything having to do with that. Give us a call, 877-929-9673, and send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi. Uh, my name is Maria Howard. And I'm calling from Indianapolis, Indiana. Well, hello, Maria. Welcome to the show. What can we do for you, Maria? Well, uh, my father always used to use this word starting when we were kids. And he always used to say, out in the giggle weeds. And none of us in our family, my siblings or my mother, could ever figure out what giggle weeds meant. Other than just uh, kind of out in the middle of nowhere. So I was interested in finding out about the meaning of giggle weeds and where it came from and who uses that word other than my dad. In terms of who uses giggle weeds, I don't hear it that much, but um, we do find instances of it from time to time, and it means sort of what you were describing. You're just you're just out, sort of in the boonies. Mm-hmm. You're you're lost in the in the underbrush or something like that. Out of the tules in some parts of the country. Um, I know that it was in a movie about motocross Ooh. racing um, called On Any Sunday back in 1971. There's 71. a reference to oh. uh, to guys on motocross bikes. Um, taking a shortcut through the giggle weeds if, if they get panicked and, and accidentally go off the road. So you do see it from time to time, but it's pretty rare. The other question is, what is a giggle weed? Mm, yeah. right? Do you have any thoughts about that? I have no clue. None. None. Okay. So you sound pretty innocent. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> That's I'm, a good thing, yeah, Maria. <laughs> yeah. I mean, giggle weeds in the past has referred to either marijuana mm-hmm. or um, jimson uh, weed. And I don't know if you're familiar with jimson weed or have seen it around. It's it's all over uh, Southern California. I, I run into it all the time when well, it's I'm it's in hiking. large parts of the country, right? Yeah. It's a, it is literally a weed. It's an unwanted pest. Yeah, it's a weed with these really jagged, um, big leaves. And it's got beautiful flowers mm-hmm. on it, beautiful blossoms. It looks sort of like giant mor- morning glories. But it's the Datura group of plants. And it's really hallucinogenic. And it's really actually... Dangerous. It's really, really dangerous. People have died from making tea out of the leaves or, or chewing them. Or eating the seeds or yeah. smoking the leaves. Like, yeah. yeah. And it, it's, well, it's a poison, but it's a hallucinogenic, so people sometimes take that chance. Right. To much to their detriment. Right. That's interesting. I tried to guess what giggle weeds meant, mm-hmm. and the only thing I could come up with in my imagination was somehow... You know, some young couple having a rendezvous out in the middle of nowhere and, you know, I don't know, the kids giggling or the people (laughs) meeting giggling, kind of like in a lover's lane situation. Mm -hmm. So that's that's Mm -hmm. the only thing I could think of. Mm -hmm. And there may be some overlap there, too. Yeah, it's charming. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's charming, but... um, both both meanings of the word giggleweed, the marijuana and the jimson weed, come up in early police documents where mm-hmm. they talk about wow. the, all the names for this. So the earliest uses we know are of jimson weed or marijuana being used as a, a party drug, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the earliest use that I know, by the way, is from Indianapolis, which is where you are, right? Oh, 
yeah. I, it may be earlier than that. It probably is. But so far, the earliest that I know of in print is from 1931 in the Indianapolis Star. They're describing two drunk guys uh, who are rousted by the police. And the line goes, they were gazing at the moon from the Google weeds under the bridge. <laughs> I tend to use that word a lot. And people kind of give me an odd look and say, giggle weeds, what's that? Uh, I have no idea, but well, now, I, now I do. If you listen to the show, Maria, you know that we our advice usually is to keep on using the expressions even if people around you don't know them. This is how we yeah. hang on to our heritage. Exactly, and I, uh, I love to kind of keep those words alive. Please do, Maria. You sound like our people. <laughs> Thanks well, thank for calling. You so much. Yeah, yeah we really thank you. I, we appreciate it. Take care yeah. now. Yeah. Okay. Thank bye you bye. so much. Bye bye. All right. Bye bye. Eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Email words at waywardradio.org or talk to us on Twitter at waywyword or join our Facebook group. Just look for Away with Words. Hello. You have Away with Words. Hello. How are you? I am David Shelton. Today I'm calling you from Detroit, Michigan. All right. Welcome to the show. How can we help? We have a situation in my household. I actually live in Montreal, and I'm from Detroit, born and raised. My wife, is her mother's from Barbados, and, and we live in Canada, so the Commonwealth British uh, background linguistically, and she's a stickler for language, and so she's often correcting me for my tendency to use Ebonic expressions or regional things from Detroit, Michigan, but she uses an expression that irks me, if you will. She she will occasionally correct me and say, "Can you not do such and such a thing?" And I find that word usage, I don't know, it just rubs me the wrong way. So I wanted to bring it to you and ask you about that usage of that negation or negative expression can you not so you sound like yes you sound like this is serious business for you he said it was a situation <laughs> yes yeah, situation yeah, a situation there. I, I heard the capital letters on that yeah. situation in all caps yeah <laughs> so, so david she's saying things to you like can you not leave the cap off the toothpaste tube that kind of thing that's the kind of thing exactly mm-hmm. and and you, so, so I, I feel like saying, can you not say, can you not? Oh, Except, so, but she's you know. saying, can you not as a full sentence, right? Just can you not? Like you're doing something that well, annoys her and you, she says, can you not? Exactly. What I what want to zero in on here, what I want to home in on, get right to the core of this is, is it because she's disagreeing with your behavior as much as it is because she said something linguistically that didn't quite sound right to you? Uh, <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> I think it's, ling- it's the linguistic part that bothers me because I also find it to be difficult even when, I mean, not difficult, but it also strikes me when she uses it toward our children or something like okay. that. So it's not just when she's checking me. Linguistically, what's happening there, we do this a lot in English. We we have this thing called ellipsis, which is kind of like the actual punctuation ellipsis. So it, it, something is left out. We do this, um, let's say, if I asked you, where's the ice cream? And you reply, over here. You don't say the full response, the ice cream is over here. You just say over here, even though there's no verb, there's no subject, right? Um, okay. we do, another yeah. example might be, oh, this happens a lot. Somebody would say, take care, and you say, you too. Okay. Uh, yeah, there's a subject there, but there's no verb. Or just So the ellipsis right. a lot of times leaves stuff out that 
both um, parties or all parties in the conversation understand to be there. It's not. It need not be okay. said. So you know know what she means when she says, can you not? You know what she's referring to. David, here's what strikes me about it. It sounds like you could translate that as, are you utterly incapable of... refraining from doing that. I mean, there's there's an implication. There's a certain level of emotion there, yeah. I think, that you don't hear if somebody says, you know, please put the cat yeah. back on the toothpaste. If you're saying, can you not? It's it's this utter yeah. exasperation, You win right? this round, Barnett. That's a good... <laughs> that's good. Yeah, well, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. She's a fairly severe individual, especially when she puts on her mother face or whatever and gives <laughs> you a look, you know. Uh, so, yeah, when you put the two together, it does have quite a quite a zing to it. Mm, a zing, yeah. So I think Martha really yeah. has nailed what's kind of annoying, because I've heard that before. <laughs> I don't think I'm bothered by it as much as you are. Yeah, but that whole question, the, the sub-question, is, the subtext is, are you incapable? Right. Yes. What is wrong would with you, David? Refrain. I've told you again and again. That's right. would, exactly. Would you please refrain? You know, it's not even would you please. Exactly. It's like, can you yeah. not? What's Are you broken in you? Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to thank you all so much oh, for your pleasure. time. I really enjoy your show. Oh, we're glad to have you. Call us some other time. It sounds like you've got a great linguistic situation. There, stuff is going to keep coming up. <laughs> oh, there's a. I have a plethora. Of <laughs> a plethora. <laughs> Myriad. <Yeah. laughs> Have a great day. Take care, Excellent. David. Excellent. Take care, David. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, call us about the linguistic situation in your house, 877-929-9673, or send us the whole story in email to words at waywardradio.org. We were talking earlier about Jimson weed, but we didn't talk about the origin of the term Jimson oh, weed. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. It goes back to the word Jamestown, the name of the, the place in Virginia. Mm-hmm. And there's an account of these British soldiers there in 1676 who ate some of this oh. and and lived to regret it. They gathered it and ate it as a salad. And there's an account of what happened next after they ate this hallucinogenic plant. Is this radio safe? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Mostly. Uh, it says, some of them ate plentifully of it, the effect of which was a very pleasant comedy, for they turned natural fools upon it for several days. One would blow up a feather in the air, another would dart straws at it with much fury, and another, stark naked, was sitting up in a corner like a monkey, grinning and making mouths, that's grimaces, huh? at them. A fourth would fondly kiss and paw his companions and sneer in their faces with a countenance more antic than any in a Dutch Droll. A droll being a kind of small, funny play. I think so, yeah. <laughs> wow, yeah. So, Jimson weed is a hallucinogenic. Yes, do it not can, try this at home or anywhere. It can kill you. It can kill you. And right. if it doesn't kill you, it could leave you permanently damaged. Or embarrassed. You know, that <laughs> this is the age of social media. Yeah. You, do, you don't want to be doing that. But, um, but anyway, Jimson weed derives from the term Jamestown. Very interesting. Language is weird. It's filled with strange pathways and odd histories. This is something we love to talk about on the show. But if you've got anything to do with language, a, a question or a comment or a word that you coined or someplace in the language that we need a word, let us know. 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi there. 
This is Jamie calling from Callis, Vermont. Hello, Jamie. Hi, Jamie. Welcome to the show. What is up? Thank you. I am a caregiver for um, elderly folks, and a gentleman who I care with is who I care for is very particular about his language. Um, and the one thing that's really stuck out to me is he insists that his fanny pack, the little pouch that he keeps his wallet um, and notebook and stuff in, is called a banana. And he's not allowed to call it anything other than a banana. And I was just wondering if that's just something in his mind or if there's any... Other people who have ever called fanny packs bananas. Jamie, tell us tell us what that looks like. Is it is it yellow by any chance? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not yellow. It's blue. Okay. Um, and it's just a standard, you know, something you'd get at Walmart for five dollars, and it holds his wallet and a few other incidents. Okay. Is he from Vermont? He's not. He's lived in Vermont off and on. Um, since the 50s, but he grew up in Washington, D.C., in a, a home that sort of hosted, he often had international dignitaries living with him, huh. or staying with him when they visited D.C., and then he also, his heritage is Lakota Sioux, and so he spent summers, starting when he was about six visiting relatives outside of a reservation in Oklahoma. All right. We may be getting near an answer to this. Is he a horsey person? Does he, or has he worked with horses, or does he know horses? Perhaps on his summer, that, his summers with the Lakota? Yes. He talks a lot about how in um, when he was there for the summers, it was really important. Everyone sort of had a horse and a dog. Okay. And, and yeah, that was an important part of his childhood. You've, the pieces are now fitting and the puzzle is complete. Um, there is a type of bag used among people who ride horses called a banana bag. It goes behind the saddle. It's a long bag, roughly the shape of a banana, curved over the back of the horse. Cool. Yeah. So I suspect that is a yeah. natural use of the term for him. I suspect he borrowed the term banana bag from the horse world and applied it to the fanny pack. That sounds very, very likely. Really interesting. I'll have to ask him more about um, his time working with horses. Yeah, I, I, I would love to know. that connection, too. I would love to know, Jamie. I would love to hear confirmation if he could say, oh, yeah, of course. He might even be wondering why it's a curiosity to you, because it might seem like a natural use of that expression. Right. He was confused that I had another name for it. Oh, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, like he wasn't, when I called it a fan pack, he was like, What's a fanny pack? That's a banana. Well, it sounds like you have your work cut out for you, Jamie, to get some more information uh, about his experience with horses. Absolutely. That'll be a good good tack to get him rolling and some fun old stories. <laughs> yeah, sure. Excellent. And if anything new comes up, by all means, give us another call, okay? I will absolutely let you know. Take care now. Appreciate right. it. Bye, Jamie. Thank you so much. Sure. Bye-bye. Bye. Is a word puzzling you? You can always call us about it, 877-929-9673, or we'd love to read your stories in email. That address is words at waywardradio.org. English, like any successful thing, has a lot of parents. Join us for more on Away With Words. 
You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Maori is the native language of New Zealand's original Polynesian inhabitants. And it was in the headlines recently because a government official there who speaks Maori has devised a manual for the government that adds dozens of new words and phrases to the Maori vocabulary for talking about issues involving mental health, disability, and addiction. There's a Maori proverb, in fact, that he quotes that uh, translates as words have great power. Mm. And what he did was to talk with people in the disabled community there, and he was trying to develop variants from the words that they use, because sometimes they use English words, too. And he found some of those English terms condescending. For example, the word that's getting the most attention in this glossary is the term for autism, which is takiwatanga, which literally translates as his or her own time and space. Isn't that interesting? Is that his new word or the old existing word? It's the new word Mm. that he's proposing that people use uh, for people with autism, someone with his or her own time or space. And a good description, right? It is. I mean, the word autism itself goes back to a Greek word that means self. Mm -hmm. But I thought that that was a really interesting way to approach uh, talking about mental health, was to create words from the Maori language that more specifically describe what they're dealing with. And it sounds like he's in a position to make them stick, right? Mm -hmm. As a government official, he can put them in official documents and they can begin to be used in all the materials. Yes, yes. And the idea behind it was to uh, translate words and phrases that might carry stigma and uh, make them more positive and make them more, um, how do they put it, recognizing humanity, hope, and personal dignity. That's a great effort. Yeah. That sounds like the so. kind of thing we can all do, right? Right. Seek the positive synonym over the negative one, mm-hmm. right? Or, yeah. Well, and recognize that what we're talking about is people. Not abstract concepts, not not dollar signs. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It goes back to framing. How you frame a situation mm-hmm. affects all subsequent conversations mm-hmm. about that situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the fact that there's just such a great diversity among us, you mm-hmm. know? Well, it sounds like I need to check my Maori dictionary and maybe put some post-it notes in there with the new word. (laughs) 877-929-9673. Send all your questions about anything having to do with language to words at waywardradio.org or join our Facebook group. Just search for Away With Words. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Patricia. I'm calling from San Diego. How are you today? We're doing great. What can we do for you? My question is about something that I've seen in the news, more often online, but sometimes in print, that um, that I don't recall seeing until quite recently, and that's abbreviations like POTUS and SCOTUS and CODUS and FLOTUS. And <laughs> so the idea of abbreviating, for example, President of the United States to the acronym POTUS. So I looked it up, and I and I found out that it originated as a telegraphic code. Mm-hmm. But um, I can't seem to recall when it became widespread. It seems fairly recent to me. Yeah, the, the telegraphic code origins are pretty well known. We can actually find copies of the 1879 manual where these abbreviations were used. Actually, SCOTUS is in there for Supreme Court of the United States. Mm -hmm. But POTUS isn't exactly in there. What's in there is P-O-T for President of the, and then, of course, naturally, you would add U.S. for the United States if you were a Mm -hmm. telegraph operator. 
And this code, known as the Phillips Code, really had this great conciseness about it. It's kind of a, a natural shorthand. And um, there are supposedly people could do 50 to 75 words a minute uh, typing in this, <laughs> or telegraphing, keying in this telegraphic code. In any case, you find as early as 1894, POTUS in print referring to the President of the United States. Hmm. Now, the problem with this is we're not 100% sure whether or not that's because somebody failed to telescope the abbreviation back out to the full president of the mm. United States mm -hmm. or if people are actually saying POTUS on the floor of Congress. I mean, we have sp speeches transcribed in the newspapers from congressional debates where POTUS is in this transcript in mm. the newspaper. But again, we're not 100% sure if the guy on the floor actually said POTUS. However, right, right. it does show up pretty soon thereafter in a bunch of different newspapers. There was an article, I believe, in the Buffalo Times that got spread around where they talked about the Phillips Code. And they talked about how sometimes newspapers make mistakes and do forget to convert POTUS back into the full oh. um, president of the United States. That said, it has been insider journalist jargon ever since. So journalists have used this again and again and again, even well into the computer age, even now. And then at some point... It left journalism and politics um, because the, the, naturally the politicians picked it up as well. And now it's more widely known and has a lot to do with the increase in media after World War II. At least that's one of the, the prevailing theories that as media exploded and there were more kinds of media, not just newspapers, but radio and television and then later the Internet, we all had a much closer look inside the journalism field, a much closer look inside the field of politics. Yeah, I'm thinking about the first time I heard Flotus, uh, which first lady I was associating that with. Who was uh, it? I'm Maybe Michelle Obama? What oh, do you really? think? I think? What do you think, Patricia? Yeah, that's what I was thinking, is that maybe before that, but I always, I mean, I seem to recall more often just the president. And, mm -hmm. and in some ways or the First Lady, and in some ways it seems unnecessary to me, I mean, this, this acronym, because it, I mean, President has three syllables, POTUS has two syllables, it's, it doesn't seem to be a, a great savings, and, and somehow I recall that, you know, when a caption would say, President signs bill, I wouldn't think, oh, what president could that be? It must be. And that, you know, it, it seems like an unnecessary extension. Oh, the other thing is, in the telegraphic code, it's it's about the number of letters. So five mm -hmm. letters versus how many are in the full president of the United States is quite a savings. And then the other thing is, um, there's a register difference here. Mm -hmm. POTUS is far more informal. This is the, not quite jokey, but it's the a little more lighthearted insider mm -hmm. lingo of a profession. Mm -hmm. Shorthand. Know? And so mm -hmm. it's not the kind of thing that's going to be on official proclamations. It probably will never be used in a, any kind of, even declamations from opponents of presidents won't, they won't use POTUS. It's, it's much more informal. Anyway, mm. this is a great call. I really appreciate your thoughtfulness on this. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Take care now. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye, Patricia. This is a show that celebrates curiosity, and we'd love for you to share yours with us. The number is 877-929-9673, or send us an email. That address is words at waywordradio.org.
I found myself lately talking to younger folks and saying, when I was your age, we didn't have an exclamation mark on the keyboard. Do you remember the days when to make an exclamation mark, you had to do an apostrophe and then backspace and put a period there? Oh, yeah. Well, I also remember there being, what was it, no one? You had to use a lowercase l? Yes. Yeah, yes. there's a, a few of those. Life was tough back then. <laughs> it was hard. Young people today don't appreciate and that, And it was so right? hard to get to the emoji row. You had to hold down all these <laughs> special keys. I know. Turn the plate in a certain way. <laughs> that emoji row only had 15 faces on it. That wasn't even a gleam in our eye, was it? No, it it wasn't. It was very far away. (laughs) 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. This is uh, Bill from Phoenix City, Alabama. Hey, Bill. Welcome to the show. My friend is a retired Army Ranger and a surgeon uh, for over 40 years, and he's always had a wealth of great stories to tell and anecdotes from his career, both in the Army and in medicine. And I would describe him kind of as a a master of colloquialisms and with a minor in the creative use of expletives. (laughs) Just a (laughs) minor, huh? (laughs) That's right. Well, I'm going to be nice at this point. (laughs) One of the stories, he peppers them with, like I said, a lot of interesting words and phrases. And one which has crept in my speech lately is a real goat rope. Um. He usually uses it in a situation where he's trying to describe a difficult or chaotic situation or someone who has made something unnecessarily complicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the phrase, a, re- a real goat rope, I was just wondering what it meant. I never really asked him how right. <laughs> I was maybe a little bit afraid to ask him, but uh, wanted to see what your thoughts were that. Bill, you're saying goat rope, like like the animal, right? Right. G O A T. Uh, The first word and the last word is rope, R-O-P-E. Goat rope. Now, I know there are variants, uh, goat rodeo sometimes and goat roping. Okay. I have done some digging on this, Bill, for my, my book, The Official Dictionary of Unofficial English, which I published in 2006. When I was researching it the first time, I found a use in 1951 of a particular kind of comedic writing that people do when they want to talk about being really surprised by a situation. And this is a classic example. It's a military official. And he writes, I've been to two world fairs, goat roping in Idaho, and caught off at Unsan, but I've never seen anything like this. So he's talking about the chaos of a world fair, the chaos of a goat rodeo, and the chaos of a military operation. But this new thing has really got him surprised. There was a fellow by the name of Dick West. I don't know if you remember him, but in the 1960s, he was a popular newspaper columnist. He loved this construction. He had a a bunch of different variations of it. Uh, I've been to county fairs, a tom-thumb wedding, and a goat roping, so you might say that I have led a rather sophisticated life. Okay. So, right. Um, well, that yeah, that may explain why it, it came over into the army uh, usage too. If if um, you know, your first example, and, and I think maybe that's where he picked it up. A phrase that's more common as far as military usage too. Uh-huh. So. But so, but you know what's interesting about it, Bill, is that mm-hmm. it kind of fall, fell out of use for a while, and then sometime mm-hmm. in the 1980s, it just kind of pops back up. I found a bunch of uses. In southern sure. newspapers related to politics, different newspapers, uh, not wire uh, stories, so locally reported stories, all of them, uh, quoting an anonymous political operative, 
using goat rope or goat roping to refer to some chaotic uh, situation. Sure, sure. So when you're talking about a goat rodeo or a goat rope, you're mm. talking about a loud, noisy, sort yeah. of chaotic situation, people running all over the place, goats running all over the yeah. place. It's just... Well, usually at a rodeo, you have like the, the big events where the experts and the professionals kind of do what, you know, ride Broncos or whatever. And then there are okay. kid events or amateur events where anybody can try their hand at throwing a lasso over uh -huh. a goat. And it's usually okay. hilarious because the goats are, you not know. Not for the goat. But... Well, not for the goat, but for the people watching and the participants. It's not a so well- kind of like Kind of like a grease pig rally or something, something like, like that. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Pretty, pretty yeah. much, uh, you're lucky if anybody wins. That's how chaotic okay. they are. Oh, okay. Well, that that makes a lot of sense. Well, Bill, something tells me that you have a whole treasure trove of other expressions like that. So I'm hoping that you'll call us oh, again sometime. Oh gosh, yeah. Okay. Thank you so much, Bill. Thanks, Bill. Thank you. <laughs> All right, bye -bye. Bill. Bye bye. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. We got a call from Case, who grew up in Los Angeles and moved to New Hampshire, where nobody understood an expression that she was using, and that expression was child cheater. Do you know this? Child cheater. Cheater? Is this uh -huh. a booster seat? <laughs> no, 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 it's not a booster seat, but uh, it is something you would find. Oh, I know what this is. This yeah. is um, a fake kid that you put in your car so you can ride in the HOV <laughs> lane, yes. right? How did you know? <laughs> is that it? <laughs> no, 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 okay. no, no. A child cheater is a spatula. And she was wondering why it's called a child cheater. And it's because if you're baking a cake and you're using this spatula to get all the, the batter oh, yeah. off of the sides there's of the no bowl, there's no bowl left to lick. Yeah. Yes, yes. They're sometimes called kid cheaters. But, kid cheaters, yeah. But you're not the only one who uses it. So I don't know what people in New Hampshire say, but it's but it's not child cheater. This apparently. is why we loved it when my mother baked with the blender, because it's hard to get it all off oh, the yeah. beaters, right? right? Very right. easy to get it off if you're just hand stirring yeah. or hand mixing. Yeah, my tongue is moving just thinking <laughs> about it. Plus, standing in the kitchen eating food and oh, not yeah. at a table with no napkin right. and plate Standing was against around. like all the rules yes. and it felt like you're getting away with something even more delicious <laughs> 877-929-9673 hello you have a way with words hi this is sylvia doctor hi sylvia where are you calling from indianapolis indiana welcome to the program what can Thank we do you. for you sylvia i have uh, a question about uh some of the vocabulary my grandfather used um when I was a child, he was from Kentucky in the Sadieville, Cynthiana area. Uh, one of the, the things he um, used to say about people who did not like to work was that they weren't very work brickle. And, uh, I, you know, I, I got the idea pretty quickly about what he meant. But I, I discovered later on when I asked him that you could not say the reverse. You couldn't say that somebody was work brickle. So I'm just interested in the word, where it comes from, why it's only used in the negative, that kind of thing. That's so interesting, <laughs> because there is a certain amount of, of confusion about this word. Well, the most common version is work brittle, B-R-I-T-T-L-E. Oh. Yeah, and it has been used positively for a very long time. It, it probably comes from a, a dialectal word in, in England, but um, since at least the late 19th century, you could say that somebody was work brittle, meaning that they were what I 
would describe, somebody who's really industrious yes. and, and eager to get to work and all of that. What's really interesting, though, is that after World War II, um, you see a lot more use of work brittle, meaning not so industrious, like actually lazy. And so it's this weird situation where work brittle can mean the opposite of itself. Some people use it to say somebody who's really industrious, and some people use it to describe somebody who's super lazy. It's it's one of these odd situations where two different meanings coexist, sort of like the word peruse, you know, which can mean oh, to yeah. look at something really, really carefully or to look at something just in a sort of cursory fashion. So it's kind of yeah. odd in that way. And so that second leader misinterpretation came about because people didn't quite understand what the expression meant. Mm-hmm. And brittle. They you thought brittle, brittle meant oh, like they're too fragile to work. Some kind of uh, yeah. They're they're too too much of a I don't know delicate flower. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm interested that uh, you're you're calling from Indianapolis, right? Yes. Right, because um, in the Dictionary of American Regional English, there's a map of where people say work brittle in that first sense of. Um, uh huh. Of being industrious, and the big concentration is in Indiana. Mm-hmm. Oh, for heaven's sake! How about that? Well, that 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 is interesting. Well, thank you so much for calling about this and sharing. Well, thank it with you us. so much for the information. I, it's fascinating. Sure thing. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. So that's a really interesting expression. I think I've only ever seen that in fiction at this point. Oh, I don't yeah? think I've ever heard it yeah. in the wild. You sound like you've heard people say I've it. I've heard it a couple of times, but then I'm from that part of the country. Yeah, Kentucky, yeah. Just, just south right. of there. Yeah. yeah. We know your family has words that seem to belong to you, and you're not sure if anyone else says them. We can tell you if that's true or not. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org or talk to us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Want more Away With Words? Listen to years of past episodes at waywardradio.org or find the show in any podcast app or on iTunes. Our toll-free line is always open, so leave us a message at 877-929-9673 and we'll take a listen. We'd love to get your messages at words at waywardradio.org or hit us up on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D and look for us on Facebook. This program would not be possible without you. Grant and I are out to change the way we listen and think about language, and you're making it happen. Thanks also to senior producer Stephanie Levine, director and editor Tim Felton, director Colin Tedeschi, and production assistant Emma Kelman in San Diego. In New York, we thank quiz guy John Chinesky and that master of keeping it real, Paul Ruist at Argo Studios. Away With Words is an independent production of Wayward, Inc. From the Recording Arts Center at Studio West in San Diego, I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. So long. Bye-bye.